0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who has come in order to give us life eternal. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, John D. Rockefeller, you probably know the name, and the reason that you probably know the name is that he was read. Ridiculously rich. In fact, uh, even according to uh, today's standards, if, if you just took how much money John D. Rockefeller had back when John D. Rockefeller was alive and you adjusted that for inflation and all sorts of other stuff, John D. Rockefeller would still be the wealthiest American in the world. And, and so it's just amazing how much money this guy had. And uh, because of that, at the time, uh, there was a journalist who, who came to John D. Rockefeller and they, they got into a conversation. They were going back and forth, and this journalist thought that uh, he had a really great question for Mr. Rockefeller. And he said, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And John D. Rockefeller stopped. <laughs> And he thought about it for a little bit, and he said, just a little bit more. (laughs) And we kind of understand that sense of things. We understand that, that, that we can get to a point where we are probably content... With whatever it is. Maybe it's not money for you. Maybe it's widgets. Maybe it's, um, eh, maybe it's internet speed. Maybe it's whatever it is. But you can get to a point where you're like, I'm content with my life. I, know, I, I have all that I need here. But if somebody just puts a little bit of an idea into your mind and says, well, you could have a little bit more... All of the sudden, your contentment goes away. And you go, oh, but I could have a little bit more. I could have a little bit more money. I could have a little bit more respect. I could have a little bit more love. I could have a little bit more whatever it is that it is that you want. And that seems to be sort of something that's at play in this gospel reading. But, of course, you look at this gospel reading, and and maybe this gospel reading, it's a difficult one to understand. It's a difficult one to interpret this gospel reading that starts off with Jesus talking to two brothers who are fighting about an inheritance. And if, if you read between the lines, probably what's happening is that there's an older brother and a younger brother. And usually what happened in this situation was that an older brother in Jesus' day, in Jesus' culture, would get a double share. So it's basically like you would take whatever the inheritance was and you'd split it in two-thirds. And the older brother would get two-thirds. And the younger brother would get a third. Because the older brother then was supposed to take care of the rest of the family. He was supposed to use one of his... Thirds, his, his double portion, in order to take care of everybody else, and the younger one was supposed to just use that inheritance for themselves. And so when this comes up, and uh, the one brother says, Tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. What he's probably talking about is tell my brother to take that third, that bonus third that he has, and split it into two. And that way we can be even Stephen. And Jesus refuses to get into that. He says, "Who, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And then he goes in and, and he tells this story. And so the context is important here. And, and he tells this story, this story about a man who, whose land produced plentifully, the parable says. And as it produced plentifully, he got a lot of grain. And, and he wasn't able to store it all. And so he, he comes up to this problem of, okay, what, what do I do here? And he, he thinks about it and he thinks about it and he goes, well, maybe if I tear down my old barns and I build up new barns, then I can store all of this and everything will be good. And at some level we go, that is the correct answer. Right, that that you you're looking at this, and, and you're going, you know, economically, um, th- this guy is reinvesting into his business. Um, he he understands how this is working. He's going to be able to um, then uh, produce uh, produce more out of that. Except for the fact that his response to his building bigger grain uh, grain barns are that he says, "I quit." And you go, oh, well, that's the wrong answer there. <laughs> you see what, you know, when in, in our understanding of this, we go, well, that's, that's what this guy's problem was, right? If, if we're reading this according to the interpretive lens of uh, American capitalist culture, we go, well, the guy's problem is that he stopped working. And after you stop working, you're useless, And that's why God came in and he said, well, you're not working anymore, so kabang! This night I'm taking your life from you. And that maybe sounds a little bit silly, but there's something to that sense that, you know, after we stop producing, yeah, in those moments where we stop and we say, well, this is my moment, this is my moment to eat, drink, and be merry, then... Maybe this is an opportunity for me to just sit back and, and enjoy life. That much of our culture just says, no, this is our opportunity now to tell you that you're worthless. But that's not really what's going on here, is it? That doesn't sound very Christian. We, we know that we're in a church and me, you know, that's n- probably not what's going on here. But that certainly is one of the ways that we can interpret this. So what's the other way to interpret this? So I guess the other way to interpret this is simply that uh, what this guy is doing is uh, he, he's just hoarding. And his problem isn't really that he stops working, but his problem is that he's done such a good job. And he's gotten rich. And rich people well, rich people are no good. We know that from another cultural narrative that we have, that rich people are evil, right? And so because rich people are evil, and this guy is storing up grain that he has because he's rich, therefore... That's why God is like "Kachang. <laughs> I am taking your life." But that doesn't sound quite right either. And that doesn't really work in terms of the in in terms of the context. It doesn't work in what's going on with this story. And so maybe there's something to this story that that we're kind of missing out on. And maybe the thing that we're missing out on in this story is that this story isn't necessarily about money as much as it's about life. And that what this man is trying to do in taking all of this grain and, and storing all of this grain is that he's trying to support his own life by himself. It's not that he's making moves in his life that are in accordance with what God would have him to do, but it's that he's trying to figure out a way in which life can just be his own. And at that point, that's when God comes in and God says, Surprise, your life is not your own. Your life is mine. And and God does that no matter who we are. God does that in, in a way that's scary and frightening in this way. This way that says if we get out of control, if we start telling God, God, don't worry about me, I've got me, you worry about all of those other poor suckers out there, but I'm good, God. God at that point comes into your life and he says, your life is not your own. And it's a negative thing. But it's interesting that the positive comes with the same words. The positive comes with the same words that your life is not your own. Instead, your life is purchased with a price. That price being the very life of God's own son. Who comes in and rather than you dying, he dies for you. And in his death, he says your life is not your own. And the amazing thing about Christ's life is that Christ's life, like manna, is not something to be stored up. Christ's life is not something where we come to communion today. And when you come to communion today, I don't want you grabbing handfuls of the wafers and the host and Christ's body and hoarding that for yourself. That's why we have somebody else give those things to you. (laughs) We don't want you running away with the chalice, going, I've got this! It's <laughs> so the same reason that we pray for our daily bread. And, and it's not that God is sort of stingy, because I think we can get that image sometimes that, that God, well, God just wants me to have my daily bread because He's, he's so stingy. He just wants me to have this little narrow amount. God is not stingy at all. He gave you his son. But God recognizes who we are. And God recognizes that what we need is not barrelfuls of Jesus that we can carry around with us. But rather that we simply need Jesus in our lives. All the time. There's this interesting and tragic disorder that some people feel compelled to do, and it's binging and purging. This sense of, of, I'm going to get all of this food and I'm going to take it into my body. And then somehow I'm going to get rid of all of that food in my body. And I wonder how often we're guilty of that disorder with our approach to Jesus. That we go to God and we say, I want all of the Jesus you can give me. So that later I can just vomit him out and not have to deal with the uncomfortable feeling For the rest of my week, what Jesus wants to be for us is something distinctly happier, distinctly better. He wants to be someone whose flavor stays in our mouth, He wants to be someone whose smell goes around with us, He wants to be someone who is in our lives. Not stored up for the day that we die. But that, like the widow whose oil and flour continue to grow. That we would trust that we will always have him. No matter how much of him we expend for the sake of others. And so, how much Jesus is enough? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Every day. Not until. Just a little bit more. Every day. Into. Eternity. Just a little bit more. May you this week, every day, may you have just a little bit more Jesus. Amen.